His name is synonymous with the Caulfield and the Melbourne Cups, and he's just announced his final weights for both these classic races, and he's admitted it's been a little bit more complicated than mm. past seasons, and he's with us now. Greg, good morning. Good morning, Paul and Andrew. Uh, great to speak to you. We put out uh, a lot more my last set of weights yesterday, as you said, and um, looking forward to seeing how it all unfolds leading up to the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups, even though I'll be moving overseas to Hong Kong. You're a little bit sad at the moment? Touch of sadness that uh, this is the last one you'll be doing? Well, it's interesting. Uh, presented the weights at a press conference yesterday and then did media with David Hagen, who's taking over as head of handicapping. So he'll be just the 10th person um, to deliver the weights for the Melbourne Cup. And um, it was actually quite a gratifying feeling. Um, um, I can see that uh, it's going to be in very good hands with David, he's an experienced handicapper. He's been with Racing Victoria for a number of years. Uh, apart from doing Victorian handicapping, we also do Tasmanian handicapping. So he's headed up the Tasmanian project for the last six years. And he's, he's released um, weights for 35, one, 35 Group 1 handicaps over the last six years. Newmarket handicaps, Oakley Plates, Cantala. So um, I'm... Uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit mixed emotions yesterday. But uh, listening to David speak post um, post the conference, it's in good hands, and I know that he'll continue to make himself available uh, and explain the work we do, which is uh, which is something that I've been um, very focused on over the 18 years that I've been here in Melbourne. Uh, Greg, we were speaking earlier in the show about whether uh, it has become uh, more than a job to you. Uh, obviously, you've had a love of racing uh, from the early days. We'll probably get back to that later. But will you sort of uh, compile phantom handicapping weights while you're over there in Hong Kong, or do you think you'll just uh, cut it adrift cold? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting um, question because uh, sometimes I don't think it's uh, too fruitful looking back in the rear vision mirror, moving to a new focus of uh, Head of Racing Product in Hong Kong. They had their first meeting at Sha Tin on Sunday. They race at uh, Happy Valley tonight. So get there and try and hit the ground running. Um, it seems as I've been talking about the Melbourne Cup all my life. Uh, as documented, I, I um, went into a uh, public speaking competition as a 12-year-old Year 7 student at Mount Lockyer Primary School uh, back in 1974. And at the time of the year, it was before the Cup had been run, and at that point, Bar Cummings had only won three Melbourne Cups. He went on to win another nine, um, and a lot has changed, but I, I've, I've followed um, the Melbourne Cup ever since I was a, a young boy. When I moved to Singapore and Malaysia, I, I, I followed West Australian racing very closely, and I'll do the same with Australian racing and Victorian racing, but be very much focused on the, the new challenge ahead, um, working in racing in Hong Kong. You've said that it's been a bit more complicated this year for these weights for the Caulfield Cup and Melbourne Cup. There's uh, no defending champion, no massive name stayer that's making the trip over for Australia. So how have you gone about it then? What have you had to change? Well, the starting point when, you, uh, when you've got this 12-month leading document, which is the, the Cup weights, is to immediately look at last year's renewals. Uh, the Caulfield Cup won brilliantly by incentivise and the, the Melbourne Cup by very elegant. You look to those two as to where they'll be in the weights the following year and, and neither of them 
for different reasons, uh, incentivised by health, uh, health reasons and giving a, a, an additional time before he comes back to the track and very elegant going to Europe. Neither of those two stars were in the, the, the nominations. Um, the, the very top horses from uh, Europe, and it's fair to say that uh, Kiprios has dominated uh, European staying racing in 2022 and he won the Irish St Ledger again over the weekend. He wasn't entered. So one of the one of the restrictions on the work that the handicapper does is that the top weight, when the weights are released for both cups and in group one races around Australia, must have at least 58 kilos. Now, when we went through the nominations for both races this year, we felt that uh, Spanish Mission deserved to be top weight. Um, he's a, a Doncaster Cup winner in Europe, a Yorkshire Cup winner. Uh, he ran third in that brilliant renewal of the Melbourne Cup last year with 57 kilos, finishing uh, a neck alongside Incentivise, who also had 57. So we felt that he was the top weight amongst the horses that we had entered this year. But the connections of Spanish Mission would have been entirely, entirely correct in their assumption that he would be on a similar mark to last year, which was 57, given that was um, the performance we were looking at um, to see where he went in the weights. But the rule, the Australian rule, says that the top-weighted horse must have 58. So that meant that Spanish Mission went to 58. And then all the other horses off the minimum also end up with a kilo more than they would have anticipated. So the complication is through that Australian rule and then the job at hand is to explain to the connections of Spanish Mission, to the connections of Gold Trip, who's got 57 and a half, and all the other horses in the race, that you've got a kilo more than you would have expected. You've got a kilo more than you would have got in a normal race, a normal year. But that is a reflection of the fact that there are no very, sorry, no elite performed stayers at the very top of the weight. So... Um, Spanish Mission, there's no doubt his job will be a little bit harder this year because no horse other than uh, Maccabi Diva um, in the Sinistic Diggers won with uh, more than 57. We saw Barely going to do it last year. But he does have to carry an extra kilo um, and give a lot of weight to horses uh, lower down in the weights. So what you're saying, Greg, is rather than upsetting half the field this time of year, uh, you've upset everyone. <laughs> upset everyone, and that's then everyone uh, thinks about it and they think, well, maybe he's done a reasonable job. Yeah, you're quite right, Paul. <laughs> now, uh, what can you tell us about Eldar, Elder Robert? Piers as though Racing Victoria still want to see him here. We do. Uh, Elder, Elder of um, was a well-performed three-year-old leading up to the St. Ledger, the English St. Ledger on the weekend. Um, he'd won the Queen's Bars, a, a Group 2 race. Um, and then he won the English St. Ledger, which was delayed from Saturday um, to Sunday on the weekend uh, in, in respect to the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, and he came on from his Queen's Vars win and won it very impressively. Now, we also had Huyamal in that race. Um, we were looking at him being in the weights at around 53 and a half off his second in the Epsom Derby and then he won a Group 3 race at his last start. Uh, interestingly enough, they raced alongside each other um, at the 600 metres and Huyamal went past Elder Elderov and then tied and laid in. Uh, I think the challenge for um, pundits and fans out there thinking about Huyamal for the Melbourne Cup is whether or not he's had a, a, a 
pretty busy campaign and whether or not Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott um, can get into Melbourne Cup Day in good health and in good form. But Elder Elderold um, fought back and went past him and, and came down the outside and, and won the English St Ledger. So he's got 55 kilos um, for Roger Varian. Um, we've had those Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds since Rekindling and Cross Counter win the race um, with much lower weights than they have uh, than uh, Elder Elderov has. But since then, we've re- reassessed the Northern Hemisphere form. We pushed the weight for age scale up a kilo for Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds to reflect, in actual fact, uh, the weight for age scale that they would be getting in England. Uh, we were giving them a bigger discount here in Melbourne or Australia rather than they were getting on their home turf. And then you have the added uh, the added complication of all the weights being a kilo higher than they normally would. So Elder Elderov has 55. He's not certain to travel, so people thinking about supporting him in um, pre-post betting should wait until Roger Varian confirms whether he is or isn't coming. But the horse, the other Northern Hemisphere three-year-old who has the same weight and is definitely coming is a Deville legend. Um, he's a gelding, so he couldn't run in this year's derby in England or he couldn't run in the St Ledger on the weekend because he's a gelding and they only allowed colts um, into their classic uh, races where the males compete. And he was very impressive beating um, uh, the field at his last start um, in the Richard Stakes. Uh, he gave her Yamal a kilo and a half and beat him home. And there's another Northern Hemisphere three-year-old in the race, El Bodegon, who's highly performed um, and he beat him at level weights by four legs to start before that. So the Northern Hemisphere three-year-old that is definitely a lock to come is Deville Legend. And we wait on Roger Berrien to see whether or not he confirms a trip with Elder Elderold, the St Ledger winner. Uh, just for, for the listeners, Deville Legend is the $8 favourite with Tab. Greg, uh, um, Gilbert Gardner from the News Limited Press has written an excellent article about you and your time there as the chief handicapper at Racing Victoria and and a historian of racing. Now, he's asked you a a series of questions, so we'll do the same and get you just to let the listeners know a a few things about what you've loved about various racehorses over the years. So what was your favourite Melbourne Cup that you've handicapped? Well, without doubt, the, the, the most pressurised and the one that lasts in everyone's memory was Maccabi Divas. That was in 2005. We know that David Hall trained her the first year in 2003, then went to Hong Kong, and then she transferred to Lee Friedman. Um, she won brilliantly in 2004 with 55 and a half, and at that point, my predecessor um, retired, and I was appointed as head of handicapping. So when she went into that third Melbourne Cup, um, Basically, when I got to Melbourne in January of that year, every question I was asked by radio, television and racing fans alike was, what weight is she going to get to to try and win three Melbourne Cups? So giving her 58, um, and and very uh, openly say that many people thought I was kind to her and she should have got more weight, but it was still a magnificent performance, a great challenge that they took up after winning the Cox Plate and really delivered the greatest moment in Melbourne Cup history for a horse to, to win three consecutive cups was just outstanding. So probably the, the memory that lasts most fondly for me is the 2005 Cup. And Gilbert wrote about the, the 2008 Cup when the Brisbane Cup winner viewed beat Bauer in an epic finish. But it was more uh, more uh, stressful for me because Septimus uh, Holland 
Honolulu and Alessandra Bolton, the three runners for Aidan O'Brien, who was there that day and hasn't been back since, <laughs> spread eagle the field and we're a long way in front at the 1,000-metre mark. And, uh, you know, Gilbert captured it. I, I turned to my wife, Leanne, who was watching the race with me and said, I think I might be looking for a new job tomorrow. And all of a sudden, there's that moment and that fearful uh, thought passed through me. The field caught up with them and they ended up running um, at the back of the field. So that was certainly a, a one that stuck with me. And, and 2015 with um, Prince of Penzance winning at 100 to 1 and Michelle Payne becoming the first female rider um, to win our great race was also a, a great memory. And for, uh, for a handicapper to have a 100 to 1 chance uh, win, a, win the race on your CV, it shows that it's not always the favoured runners and the underdog can still come through and, and win the great race. I, I know there uh, uh, one of the runners in, in your top ten was Vow and Declare. He had a good performance on the weekend. He's coming back really nicely. There's only been one Melbourne Cup winner who has won it in non-successive years, and that was Peter Pan in 1932 and 34. It's been three years since Vow won the Melbourne Cup as a four-year-old. They took him to Queensland that year, and he um, he won a couple of nice staying races as a late three-year-old in Queensland and then he won the Melbourne Cup with 52. He ran the following year with 57, was unplaced and he didn't run last year. But he's now actually back in really good form. Uh, he's got 54. Um, a quirk of the Caulfield Cup is that he has passed the ballot for that race because the Melbourne Racing Club have a condition which says a pass winner at the Caulfield Melbourne Cup or Cox Plate can't be eliminated uh, and is automatically passed the first clause. So He's in the Caulfield Cup field, and Danny O'Brien just needs to get him to run in the first eight there. Hopefully he'll win it for them, but if he can run in the first eight, he becomes past the ballot for the Melbourne Cup. So we should or could well see Val declared back for um, a third tilt at the Melbourne Cup. And as I said, uh, he would become just the second horse to win it in non-successive years, albeit his victories would be three years apart. I spoke to the breeder and owner, I think, from Queensland. He was at Flemington on Saturday. Um, and he's he's very, very positive about the way his stayer um, is racing this preparation. And that was before the race. And he ran very well with a big weight to run third. Greg, you had Black Caviar as the best horse during your time there as handicapping. But I love the... Uh the, the category of the best war horse, the real tough horses that people love, and you had Zipping at the top of your list. I did. It was amazing to think that uh, Zipping, he won four Sandown Classics, which they changed uh, to the Zipping Classic in honour of him. Ran in four Melbourne Cups. He ran fourth um, three times. He ran in four Cox Plates. He ran second to So You Think. He ran third to So You Think, and he ran uh, a placing on another occasion. So you know, he was a horse that just kept coming back um, and performing time after time. Um, and even as an older horse, uh, you know, in the middle of the way to the Melbourne Cup, wasn't winning and being top three, but he was really um, performing to an outstanding level. Uh, and he was a great horse for, for Lloyd Williams. There were a few others there, and I, I think everyone talks about the very champions, but or the, 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 the champions of our sport, but... Hunters and racing fans out, out there love horses who keep turning up year after year, race after race, and, and running for them, and people support those sort of horses. So outside of Zipping, I mentioned um, the cleaner, Mick Bell's horse, uh, the great story from um, Tasmania, 
um, who won weight for age races um, here in Melbourne. A horse like Eduardo, um, who's going round right at the moment um, and doesn't always beat Nature Strip. It's always very competitive, and when Nature Strip's there, um, is very, very hard to beat. And it's great that these horses keep coming back season after season and performing to, to such a high level. We've gotten to know you over the years, Greg, not just about uh, your, your handicapping situation here and what you do and your love of horse racing, but we've we've spoken to you about your, your time in the waffle with the AFL, and we had a number of listeners this morning when we said first up that you were coming on the show. We're, we're going through your record, a very successful record, back in Subiaco uh, back in the day. You must have been very much on the cusp there of playing for the West Coast Eagles at that time. Did the, did the times just not mirror up? It was a, an opportunity that passed me by. You're absolutely right. We won the last Waffle Grand Final before the Eagles in 1986. And, you know, people will say that I downplayed my um, football ability, but I'm, I'm actually quite an honest assessor of it. And I was a, a reasonable player in a very, very good team. So a lot of the premiership uh, teammates of mine um, uh, stayed... Uh, sorry, not stayed, but went to the Eagles as founding members. Some others headed uh, interstate uh, and got offers from um, VFL clubs in, a, or in an expanded competition, which became the AFL. Um, and at 23, um, I, I wasn't quite good enough to get into the AFL, so I stayed on and played in another premiership with Subiaco and, and captain the premiership and captain the club, and, and I had great times, and and retired at 27 um, because, you know, at that point, my racing career, and I've been combining both, um, working Monday to Friday at the WA Turf Club, Saturdays through the non-football season, but focused on football during the winter and was given the opportunity at 27 to be head of handicapping in Western Australia and do races like the Perth Cup and the Railway Stakes, great races, Group 1 races at that time. Um, and with the Eagles... Um, coming on board, uh, it was the right time, having missed out on, on and going further with my football um, earlier on to, to concentrate on career. Um, and that's been very, very successful for me. But uh, I love football. Barrett for all teams, hoping that um, Brisbane can get the job done um, this weekend. And I've been really taken with the way Sydney have been playing. So um, it'd be interesting if we saw a Sydney-Brisbane grand final played in Melbourne. Now, we know you're very eloquent when you join us on the show and you're a very good speaker. We have heard a story about you going to the tribunal in the waffle and you were dead set going to be rubbed out, but you were able to talk yourself <laughs> out of it and play the next weekend. Well, I'd love to say that was true, but I went to the tribunal more times than most players of my <laughs> era and I was never reported. I was always uh, the victim. Um, so I did get... <laughs> So I did assist in getting quite a, a few players off. Uh, one player actually told me that he'd help me if I didn't help him get him off. So unfortunately, <laughs> so unfortunately he got found guilty and was suspended. But I did actually, I did actually, I did actually defend uh, later on a couple of people at both the tribunal and also the um, cricket tribunal. So I was reasonably handy on my feet and could mount an argument, um, but. It's a lovely story, but I do want to stress that I was never reported. <laughs> I never reported in all my career, but actually went to the tribunal probably a dozen times as the, the person on the end of the incident. 
Oh, people bigging down the, the tall poppy. Obviously, that's what it was. Greg, there was a stat you gave us this morning just before we let you go because it's been so fantastic having a chat to you. I was thinking earlier this year, I read an article about the 150th edition of the Open Championship playing there at St Andrews. And they've only had nine course superintendents that whole time, only nine men in charge of the old course. And as you just pointed out this morning, 161 years of the Melbourne Cup, there's only been nine people that have been handicapping that race. I just thought it was ironic too such old and traditional sporting events synonymous around the world. So very few people get put in charge of such an important situation. And it's been a privilege to do it. I mean, when you are a handicapper or a racing administrator, I've always aspired to be involved in the Melbourne Cup. And then when, it, when I went into handicapping, to handicap the Melbourne Cup, uh, only the ninth individual. And after doing 18 years, I, I sit in fifth spot. So... There's been four other individuals who did more cups than myself. Interestingly enough, having done 18 Caulfield Cups, sit um, number three on, on that league ladder. But it has been a privilege. It's not about how long you do it for. Uh, it's how you, you it's what you do when you're there. Uh, and I hope that um, people have enjoyed um, listening to how the, the, the race is handicapped, the, the, the theatre and the, and the history of the race. Uh, as I said at the outset, Paul and Andrew, I feel that uh, I leave in a very good set of hands with David Hagen, um, and the race will continue on long after uh, individuals like myself have gone. So um, I hope everyone enjoys the spring. It's always been a, a great pleasure to come onto your show. James, your producer's done a, a wonderful job. We love the passion that you have for sport and, and racing, and um, you know, here in Victoria, we thank you for your support and coverage of Victorian racing. Greg, love having you on the show. We're not going to let you go just but yet. We're going to get you back before the Melbourne Cup and speak to you again because we love having you on. Thanks for your time this morning. Pleasure. Thanks very much.